don't know if you've ever felt like you're in a desert. Have you ever felt like you're kind of in a spiritual dry place, uh, emotional dry place? I, I just want you to know that's not always a bad thing. God actually led his people into the desert. So you could be in a desert right now that is of your own making, and that's not where you want to be, right? Or maybe call it a wilderness. Uh, you know, maybe you wouldn't call it a desert. It's more of a wilderness uh, a place where there's just no one and nothing around that you feel like is there to support you. But uh, the desert was the place where God often led his people as a way to train them. And we can go through the history of Israel. But right now, uh, we have been focusing on what we call the holy history. And that is Israel from really Abraham all the way through their entry into the promised land and beyond. And we've talked about uh, Joseph and how the people of Israel, the, the, the children of Israel, we would call them, arrived in Egypt and how that was originally salvation for them. And then how they were enslaved by Egypt. And then God raised up Moses and delivered them from Egyptian slavery and promptly thrust them out into a wilderness where they would have to trust God. Now, I went into some detail two weeks ago, last week was our Mother's Day message, but I went into some detail a couple of weeks ago re-explaining this, but you know, the holy history is contained in scripture all over the place. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter seven, Stephen, who was the first martyr, recited the holy history to the people right before they became so angry with him because he said that they were responsible for crucifying Jesus, who was God's Messiah, that they stoned him to death. But he recited the holy history when Saul, who became Paul, uh, was preaching the gospel uh, in one of the, the first synagogues that he preached the gospel in after he was called on the first missionary journey. He gave the holy history. There are also psalms that contain the holy history. So I want to look at Psalm 105. I'm not going to read the entire psalm. It's rather lengthy. But I am going to look at Psalm 105 verses 23 for, through 45 because I think that will be a good reminder and a good introduction to you of what has happened so far with with the, the, we would call them the house of Israel, perhaps, the children of Israel. Um, Israel also came into Egypt. So Jacob lived in the land of Ham, right? Uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and Ham, who is uh, one of the three descendants of uh, Noah, who populated the earth, right? And the Egyptians were considered descendants of Ham. So Jacob lived in the land of Ham, and he made his people very fruitful. That is, God made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people. That is, he turned the heart of his enemies to hate his people, to deal cunningly with his servants. He sent his servant Moses and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did, and they did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and a swarm of flies and gnats invaded their territory. He gave them hail for rain and a flaming fire in their land. He also struck their vines and their fig trees and smashed the trees of the territory. He spoke, and locusts came, and creeping locusts beyond number. And they ate all the vegetation in their land and ate the fruit of their ground. He also fatally struck all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their vigor. So now you have the 
10 plagues that were used by God to get the Egyptians to let the people go. Verse 37, then he brought the Israelites out with silver and gold, and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon the Egyptians. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to illumine by night. They asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Bless you. And he opened the rock, and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy word with his servant Abraham, and he led out his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He also gave them the lands of the nation. So we'll come to that. Uh, that that's the, the next thing that we're going to see is that they're going to come into the land of Canaan. So the Lord led his people out of Egyptian slavery. He led them into the desert, and this was a time of testing. So you could be in the desert because the Lord has actually led you there and he wants to test you and he wants to train you. The question is, what is your response to this? But it is also possible that you're in this desert because it is something uh, that you have done to turn away from the Lord. And so you're wandering in a wilderness of your own choosing. I want you to understand, if the Lord leads you into the desert, then he's going to provide for you there. The question is, will you trust him? But what if you've wandered off the path and out into the wilderness on your own? Are you traveling down some, some twisted, bumpy byway instead of following Jesus on the highway of holiness? Time to turn back, friend. That's what you need to do. The Lord's plans are better than your worldly dreams and desires. Listen to what God promised his people hundreds of years later when they were captive in Babylon. The Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. And I think he would say this to you as well. This is a scripture that is contained in a letter to the people of Israel, but we're God's people if we're in Christ today, and I think he would say this to you. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Amen? So you might be in the wilderness right now. Maybe you're in the wilderness because you've wandered off the path. Or maybe you're in the wilderness because God is preparing you to take the promised land. But one way or the other, the response that you need to have is to turn toward the Lord or to turn back to the Lord so that he can lead you. Well, if you've wandered away from God into the desert, the thing you need to do is to seek the Lord's guidance to return to the highway of holiness. I didn't just coin that phrase myself. That's actually found in Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to Isaiah 35 uh, verses 8 through 10. Uh, this is my New American Standard Bible, but I have a lot of these shorter verses in here, so I don't have to look them up and look them up. And a, highway, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. That's the city of God where the people of God live. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So that's what you need to do. You need to return to that highway of holiness. If you find yourself in the desert, 
then it's going to be a journey and there will be training along the way as the Lord leads you back to his city. But you need to walk the way that the Lord has has already pioneered, right? Jesus is called the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He has carved the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we need to follow Jesus along that way. And friends, in the world we're living right now, it is more important than ever that you follow Jesus very, very closely. Now let's get back to the children of Israel in, uh, in the, the, the desert. God had led them into the desert. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that it was only three days after the Red Sea crossing that they began to murmur. They began to grumble because the water that they had come to was bitter water. And the Lord showed Moses how to make the bitter water sweet. Now we come to a time uh, just a, a chapter later, this is from Exodus chapter 16, when the people had been out of the land of Egypt for an entire month. And they, presumably they, they, they landed by an oasis there for a short period of time. And uh, so they were able to, uh, to get their, their water bottles filled and so forth. But now they'd been in the desert for a month and they were running out of food and they were running low on water. So what did they do? Well, what do you do when times are tough? What do you do when things, I mean, what we hear people right now uh, in our government and in the media saying, oh, there's going to be shortages. There may be an electricity shortage there. Apparently there is uh, a shortage of, of, uh, of baby formula right now. And, you know, we can point fingers everywhere. But the question is, what do you do about those things? Do you complain? Do you blame? Or do you seek the Lord? Right? Well, this is what the people did. The people of Israel, the house of Israel, complained. They complained and tested God. Um, this is Exodus 16, 2 through 3. But the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. Wow, they were hangry, weren't they? Their hunger and thirst drove away the purported faith that they may have had. And the Lord's goodness or any previous hope in his house salvation. Now they wanted to return to slavery. They said, sure, if God wants to kill us, at least he can kill us with full bellies. Wow, these people. They don't understand. They had the attitude, as I said a couple of weeks ago, God, what have you done for me lately? I wonder if you have that attitude, right? When you're going through it, when you're having a difficult time, do you remember what God has already done? Do you still give him thanks for what he's done previously? Do you still praise him and worship him? Because friends, God hasn't changed, amen? The government changes circumstances change but God doesn't change and our need to rely on him fully doesn't change um, I think often we have a tendency to rely on the provision rather than the provider right um, so uh, the question I would ask you in in comparing you perhaps to the people of Israel here is can you trust the Lord and delay gratification or are you like, let's go to another story found in Genesis. Are you like Esau who sold his birthright to his younger brother for a pot of sticky red stew? Sometimes we're just, we're just looking at what's in front of us, right? We're just living day to day 
and you know, paycheck to paycheck, and we're not worried about tomorrow, we're not caring about tomorrow, we're not thinking about tomorrow, we're just looking at what we have right now. Well, if you're trusting God to provide for you right now, that's a good attitude. But if all you're doing is just focusing on the here and now, and you're walking by sight rather than by faith, in other words, you're walking by your feelings, you're walking by your physical senses, rather than understanding that God has a plan for you and that you need to get it on that plan, right? So what do you, can you delay gratification? Do you walk by faith or do you walk by your senses? Do you walk by your feelings? In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it clearly says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, the children of Israel were newly freed people. And freedom means independence. They had been dependent upon the Egyptian government their entire lives. In fact, for as long as they could remember in their history, they had been dependent upon Egypt and the Egyptian government, right? Joseph was promoted to second in command in Egypt. He took charge and he made sure that nobody starved. And he brought his own family to Egypt and they were given this beautiful land called the land of Goshen where they could, uh, they could bring their livestock and the livestock could feed. And, and they grew in numbers. And really, they didn't grow any closer to the Lord. They just grew in numbers. They became very strong, and it was intimidating to the Egyptians. So the government that provided for them became the government that enslaved them. I wonder if there's a lesson there for you. Remember the pandemic? Yeah. Remember that pandemic money? We ran out of that a long time ago, didn't we? Right? The Egyptian government was giving them everything. The Egyptian government took everything away from them. The Egyptian government was mandating that they kill their children. The Egyptian government was mandating that if they had a male child, that it had to be destroyed. In fact, Moses was saved from that for the very purpose of delivering the people from Israel. If you think that our government or any other government is, is any different, I think that you need to look again at the history of the world, not just the holy history that is found here. Do you look to government or do you look to God to help you when you cannot supply your own needs? Now, I'm not saying that God can't at times use the government to help you. But the point is, are you looking at the provision and the source that God is using or are you relying upon the Lord? When we depend on the government, we become slaves to it. That's the dark side of socialism and communism. Trust God, work, spend less, when you're in need, call out to the Lord and look for him to answer. Remember, Jesus fed 5,000, more than 5,000, 5,000 men. So who knows how many people there were with women and children there. 5,000 people with only five barley loaves and two fish. Instead of worrying and complaining, we need to trust the Lord and look to his hand. Amen? Well, the children of Israel complained and they blamed Moses and Aaron for their hunger and then they argued with them because they had no water so really a short time later they ran out of water now I'm gonna look I'm, I'm gonna look at God's provision in both instances he provided food first then he provided water when they ran out of water but let's look at, uh, at both of these needs that they encountered um, they blamed Moses for their hunger. You brought us out into this wilderness uh, to kill this entire assembly, assembly with hunger. And then in chapter 17, one chapter later, we find they ran out of water. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So first they blamed Moses and Aaron for bringing them into the wilderness to kill them with hunger. Now they blame Moses and Aaron for bringing them in the wilderness to kill them with thirst. And see, by extension, they're blaming God because who sent Moses? Yeah. Now, let me help you understand something, and we all need to understand this. According to the Apostle Paul, all authentic authority comes from God. Even if those authorities don't have the same politics as you do. Right? All legitimate authority, not usurping authority, comes from God. And so when we deride the authority, when we slander the authority, by extension we're slandering God and we're slandering authority, period. They slandered Moses and Aaron, accusing their leaders of evil intent. And we see a lot of that today, don't we? See, I don't know which side of the political aisle you are on or who you get angry with or who you call names. But it's all wrong, my friend. See, that's the devil's game. You've heard the, the, the name devil before, right? Do you know what that word means? It's actually not a name. It's a descriptive term. Do you know what it means? It means slanderer. The devil slanders people. He's a liar and he's a slanderer. And what do we call it when you slander God? That's called blasphemy. When you slander another human being, well, again, that's what we see all the time. We see, you know, uh, individuals that were heroes, uh, you know, according to one particular side of the political spectrum, and then suddenly they're no longer heroes because they're not doing what that particular group, that tribe wants them to do anymore. And so we slander these people. I'm not saying we, you and I, hopefully you don't. So when you struggle to provide for yourself or your family, do you speak out against uh, your boss, right? Now, I'm not saying your boss is perfect. I'm not even saying you have a good boss. But do you have a tendency to speak out against your boss, your landlord, because they're demanding the rent, the president, the governor, or other leaders in your life, students, those of you in this room that go to college or, or, or go to school somewhere else, um, do you slander the teacher because you got a bad grade? I don't know how many times, and I, we've got plenty of teachers in this room, I don't know how many times I've heard students say, oh, she just doesn't like me. That teacher doesn't like me. You know what? I bet the teacher would like you more if you cooperated and turned in all your work. What do you think? That teacher might be a lot less. I can remember, and this just comes off the top of my head, um, but uh, I've known Craig and Rachel since they were in middle school. And I remember uh, Craig had just gone into eighth grade at Bussey Middle School and he had a teacher, this is Coach Bottoms. What did she teach? History, world history, something like that? Huh? World history. And so back then, uh, my office at the uh, church that I was at, Freeman Heights Church, was on the upper floor that overlooked the park right there by Bussy. And Craig used to come across there and then I'd run him to his house because his mom, sitting right over here, was a teacher at DISD and she didn't get off and get out of work and get home until about five o'clock or so. So I gave Craig a ride home. So I would always ask him about his day. Oh my goodness, Craig did not like Coach Bottoms. She was mean, she was strict, but that was only at the beginning. Craig started liking Coach Bottoms because she was a principled person, right? She was very strict. 
She was hard on those kids, but he learned in her class and the class was under control. And so the first several weeks, he didn't like her at all. But I remember you liked her quite a bit by the end of the, really by the end of the first semester, you liked her quite a bit. So see, Craig was a good student. He was cooperative. Uh, he turned in his work. We can, you know, get in sideways with certain people, with the, with the police. How do you treat the cops when they pull you over? All right? I'll be honest with you. My first response is always, why me? Right? <laughs> Roll the window down. What did I do? That is the wrong approach. I'm just going to tell you, it's the wrong approach. Okay? The last time I was pulled over by a police officer uh, was over off of Buckingham Road. And I had just made a right turn uh, off of Garland Road onto Buckingham Road. And I was going down Buckingham and there was a car in front of me that was slow and I went around that car and this guy lit me up. I was like, what did I do? I didn't even know what I did. But I didn't talk like that. <laughs> I was wiser than I have been in the past. I rolled the window down, and this guy was irate. I mean, he was mad at me. And, you know, I could have argued with him because I thought that his anger was unjustified. I didn't even know what I did. You just flew around that car. What do you think you're doing here? Yes, sir. Didn't you see that? No, sir, but I'm sure you're right. Now, whether I disagreed with him or not is irrelevant. The cop is always right while they're standing there. If they're being unjust, look at their badge number, memorize it, and call it in later. Don't get into an argument right then and there. That's just foolish, right? So I didn't get into an argument with him, all right? This time I was smarter than I've been in the past. And I said, no, sir, I, I, you're probably right. I don't remember that. I didn't think that that's what I did, but that's, you know. And he just immediately, he calmed down. It's like he was just expecting a fight, man. And I didn't fight him. Like, I'm not here to fight you, right? Uh, my karate kids have to learn a verse. Proverbs 15.1 says, so she has, she's speaking with a little voice, which is strange because she's a very loud voice. <laughs> a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the cop comes up to your window, they're treating you unjustly, and you start getting in their face, you're always going to lose to the cops, friends. Trust me on this. I know this from experience, right? So we can look at that authority and blame that authority when really the only person you can control is you, amen? You can't control everybody else, but you can control you. You can control your temper, when you complain against those in leadership, you also implicate God, since, as I said, all legitimate authority, all authentic authority comes from him. And this doesn't mean that we should refrain from holding our officials accountable for the statements that they make and the things that they do. I, you know, there's all kinds of statements that I could be making about people that are in office right now. And you'll notice I am notoriously absent uh, uh, in making those statements. That's not because I don't think they need to be held accountable. I do. I could make statements like that right now and tell you how I think they need to be held accountable. But you are ODing on politics right now. It's everywhere. We need to know how to deal with all of these things from a Christian perspective, from a spirit-filled perspective. We need to stop slandering people in leadership, whether that's leadership directly over us or political leadership. 
And I, listen, I'm pointing one finger at you and three back at me. We need to all do this. Um, so when you struggle to provide for yourself and your family, do you worry or do you panic? That can, that can happen, right? We can, have, we can have fear. And that may have been what was driving the, the house of Israel, the children of Israel, to blame and complain and slander and grumble against Moses. The, you know, a lot of them may have just flat out been afraid. Well, they obviously didn't trust God to provide for them. Uh, you know, they were like, you brought us out here to kill us. And so um, when we do that, when we blame and when we complain, we, we fill our lives and our homes with strife rather than peace. So uh, it says uh, further in the, in the passage that they named the place. This is the place where the, the water uh, was, uh, was not initially. They named the place Masa and Meribah, which means quarreling and testing because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? You ever do that? God, are you there or not? Why are you letting all this happen to me? I have this habit. I have this, this issue. Why don't you just take it away, God? No, I'm not saying you can't address God honestly, but uh, talking to God disrespectfully, shaking your fist at God is not the right way to go. That's the devil's path, friend. That's why we are where we are, right? So instead of pointing the finger at others or shaking your fist at God, raise your hands toward heaven and ask your good and caring Father to guide and provide. Amen? He is our provider. Um, so here's the provision that was given uh, for, for the food. Okay? They were hungry. This is back to Exodus 16. This is verse 8. And Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come forward before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the entire congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So even if you cry out to God in anger, realize that he hears you. Even if you have a bitterness in you, if you continue to control yourself and approach the Lord and cry out to him, know that he will provide. God will supply all your needs if you trust him to do so. Um, I, I love uh, Philippians 4.19 that says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to your riches, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Maybe you need to hear that today. I know that I need to hear that today. So what God gave them to eat um, in the morning, every morning, in fact, every morning for 40 years God provided this, was called manna. Say manna. Manna comes from the Hebrew word manu, which means what is it? Because what happened, that's what it means. What happened is in the morning, this, this, this flaky, it always reminds me of pie crust, like there was pie crust everywhere, right? This flaky substance came down all across the wilderness. And there's, there's really a lot of lesson to learn here about how the Israelites were supposed to gather it, that they were only supposed to gather enough for one day. God supplies enough for you today, not tomorrow, right? Um, 
You know, uh, what did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. You don't pray for tomorrow, you pray for today, okay? And God supplies what you need today. Jesus said, let tomorrow worry about itself. Trust God for today and he'll worry about tomorrow, okay? Um, but they went out and when they, they picked this stuff up, it, it was white, flaky. It says it had like, like a flavor like coriander and, and, and they, it tasted kind of like honey. Let, let's read the verse here, 1631. The house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. My mouth is watering right now, I want some. I really do. I had two boiled eggs this morning and that's it. I want some manna right now, okay? Um, but God supplied this bread from heaven for his people the entire time they were in the wilderness, 40 years, and it was good. God also brought water in the desert where there was no water. So as I said, just, just after this, they ran out of water. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now, what this means is by now, this is chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, they had arrived at Horeb, the Mount of God. The other name for that mountain is? Congratulations. Sinai, all right? <laughs> Bible scholars. We got a room full of Bible scholars here. All right. We know it, normally we know it as Mount Sinai, uh, and that's what it's called today but it was also called, referred to as Horeb, and they had already arrived there. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Where there is no natural source, God will provide. When there is no natural source, God is the source, amen? So I don't know what you're looking for or what you need today. I concentrated the message today on the physical needs that we have, okay? Food and water and, you know, provision to pay your debt and so forth. But, you know, we can really think about our, our desires as well, the things that we hunger for that are not uh, physical things. And perhaps I'll, I'll talk about that next week. It would make the, today's message too long to refer to those things. But realize that no matter what it is, the Lord is your source. He is the resource. He is the provider, right? Um, and, you know, we need to realize that we need more than material things. We need more than physical bread. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. And it says at the end of that time, this is contained in Matthew 4, also in Luke 4. It says at the end of that time, uh, Jesus was hungry. Well, obviously. And, you know, most fasts would last that long, 40 days, it was common. So it was probably time to break the fast. So the devil's been testing him in the wilderness and the devil, devil tests him and says, if you really are the son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said, no, he said, it is written, you shall not live on bread alone. You shall what? Not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's not just physical bread that we need. We need more than that to sustain ourselves, right? We need something higher than that. We need something beyond the physical uh, to sustain us. Um, and so that's where we understand as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that our greatest hunger can only be satisfied with the bread that God provides, and that's Jesus. Jesus called himself the bread from heaven. He is our manna from heaven. We don't have to ask Manu, what is it? 
because that bread from heaven, that higher sustenance is Jesus Christ himself. Um, listen to this passage. This is John chapter 6, and this is verses 26 through 35. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. So this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. He gave them physical food to eat. They wanted him to give them physical manna from heaven to eat as well. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, well, what are we to do that we may accomplish the works of God? How do we please God? That's what they were saying. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You don't perform for God, you trust Jesus. Amen? So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, hint, hint. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, and this is the verse I really wanted to get to. This could be the theme verse, and it's the conclusion of our message. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, because they still didn't understand what he was saying, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen? So you may have physical needs right now. Um, if you've ever fasted, it gets hard. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 5, and the disciples came to him and said, Here, Master, have something to eat. And he said, I have bread to eat that you know not of. Because he'd been doing the will of the Father all morning long, in, uh, or all afternoon long, in speaking to the woman at the well. And he was full because he was accomplishing God's will on earth. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We feed on Jesus when we follow him. So if you understand this, you have the spirit of Christ living in you if you've chosen to put your faith in Jesus Christ. His spirit dwells within you and provides for you supernaturally. All of these desires and all of these hopes and all of these dreams that we have that drive us, some of them are good and some of them are not. And I have a whole message about that, right? It's really the other half of this message that we're not going to get to today. But what you and I need to realize is that the supply that we need to rely on is the Lord Jesus. You have a teacher and a guide. Can you sense his presence within so if you have wandered away from the path, as we said at the beginning of the message, and you need to find the way back, then you need to open yourself to the Spirit of God and ask Him to come inside and fill you and to give you wisdom and to give you guidance, to give you direction, to counsel you, to comfort you, to supply all of your needs, all of those needs that are beyond physical needs, and He will guide you back to the path. He comes into the heart and it is from the heart that we also become a source of life to others. That's why this church is called Life Well. Going back to the story about the woman at the well, he told her that if she asked him, he could give her living water. And she said, how do you get this living water? You don't even have a, a bucket to draw from this well, because he'd asked her for water. And he said, the water that I give will become in you 
a source of water springing up to everlasting life, right? Life well. You become the life well. You become a source that the Holy Spirit uses to pour out life on everyone else. And friend, that's what our world needs right now. So Moses was told to strike the rock and out of the rock water flowed. I wonder, I wonder if your heart is the rock that the Lord needs to strike. I wrote a poem about this. It's called Thirst in the Desert. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Yet I really wonder why we've wandered so far into the wilderness of sin. I thirst. Why won't God lead us to water? Even bitter water would be better than this burning, burning thirst. Why are we still in the desert? Where is our promised land? All I see is rocks and sand. Will this never end? God is real, no question, no doubt. But I question today if he cares about me. I thirst, almighty God, but sadly I am not clever enough to find water. Suddenly it strikes me, your staff against my stony heart, and the water flows out from within. The spirit of life from Christ now makes me or anyone a life well. Let the Lord strike you today. Let him wake you up. Because if you have ever opened your heart and allowed the spirit to live in you, he's still there. You need to soften your heart or let him soften your heart so the spirit will bubble up and become that life well for you. So call it hunger, call it thirst. We need that source and that supply from the Lord. And then we become a tool for him to bring life to the world. That's what this church is about. And that's how the holy history relates to us. Let me ask you to pray with me. And then we're going to jump into another brief time of worship. Father, I pray for all of those who have come to us today, for those that have joined us online or will join us later online. I pray that each of us will realize that we need to cry out to you when we're in, uh, in need. And we need to trust you. We need to pay attention to you. And we may need to repent. We may need to turn back to the, the narrow pathway again. We, need to, may, we may need to get out of the wilderness we've wandered into and get back on your highway of holiness so that we may be following Jesus and that upward path to the promised land that you have offered us because you have said you didn't come to destroy us, you didn't come to harm us, but to give us a hope and to give us a future. And that future is only found in Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. If you've never let Jesus come into your heart, then open up to him right now. Just say a prayer like this. Here's a prayer for you. Just say, dear Jesus, I open my heart. I need you. I want you. I invite you to come inside. Take control of me. Give me your hope. Give me your life. I need guidance. I need direction. I need to follow you. Jesus, I believe in you. And today I dedicate my life to you. I pray this in your name. Amen.